Hey guys, yes, this top 10 countdown, or this, yeah, this top 10 countdown, if you will, or I wouldn't necessarily call it a top 10, but basically the 10 ships that I'm a fan of, and that I kind of consider canon, semi-canon, if you will, is uncut, unscripted, and on the fly. So with that said, here, uncut, unscripted, and on the fly, are the 10 Animated ships. That's what I should have said at the beginning. Animated ships that I'm a fan of and I think some of you will agree with. Okay, so the first ship is technically animated, but it also goes by another word, anime. And that ship is of Teya and Yugi. Now, the reason I choose this ship because obviously it's the most, well, obvious uh, when you read the manga and you watch the anime series. It is very obvious that these two have a thing for each other. Mostly later on in the series when, of course, Teya starts to take a real strong liking to the alter ego of Yugi Atem, aka the Pharaoh, but in the process starts to take a liking, a stronger liking to Yugi as more than just a best friend. Uh, this is very evident, especially later on in the final seasons when the character known as Rebecca comes around and you kind of see exactly what we're talking about. As well as some other characters, I think this uh, other character from the Far East or something like that, I can't think of her name that uh, dueled Yugi for the freedom of Yugi's grandfather or something. So, yeah. Teya and Yugi are definitely uh, part of my top, part of the 10 uh, animated ships that I, of course, or animated couples that I ship uh, in this countdown, in this uh, uh, top 10 list or countdown list, whatever you want to call it. Uh, because, like I said, you know, you may not think that at first, but when you read the manga and you watch the anime, you do get an idea. Especially if you watch the original Japanese anime of Yu-Gi-Oh! Because through that, especially with subtitles, you kind of get the idea that, yeah, there is something between Yugi and Teya um, that you may not know about. Or that Teya may not want to admit. I mean, even the English dub really, especially towards the end, touched upon this when Teo was kind of shocked at the fact that she was cheering for Yugi over the Pharaoh because she wanted the Pharaoh to remain because, you know, her friendship for the Pharaoh became something more. But as I said, during that process, she also started to develop stronger feelings for Yugi. So, yeah, starting off at 10, we have Yugi and Taya. All right, coming in at number nine, we have from the Cadillac Cats, Heath uh, Riffraff and Cleo. Yes, uh, this is a great example of a couple that doesn't matter what size you are or where you come from, 
that as long as you have some kind of common bond, some kind of an attraction, some kind of understanding of each other, and kind of are able to bounce off each other in a way where you can keep the other in check, kind of be like a foil, if you will, then the relationship is going to be good. And Riff Raff and Cleo exemplify that, or exemplify that, that's the word I'm looking for, exemplify that in the Cadillac Cats, in the various episodes where the relationship is kind of the focus, and at times where it's sort of the focus, but not really, but they're there to support each other. So, so to me, when I look at these two, it's like, you know, you of course you wonder when you look at them, period, how can a statuesque character like Cleo be in love with a short alley cat like Riff Raff? And I think it's because of the fact that what attracts her to Riff Raff is the fact that he is a short guy, he is a short uh, character, but he's tough. He doesn't let his diminutive size um, ground him. He doesn't let it discourage him. He wants to stand up for his own well-being and maybe those that he becomes friends with. So I think that's what really attracts her to 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 riffraff. And more along the line, she even acknowledged that she just likes being around him. He's he's different. He's not unlike any other, you know, cat or any other feline suitor, if you will, that tried to get with her. You know, he says he's just a different kind of cat, if you know what I mean. So, Riff Raff and Cleo, number nine, in my opinion. Uh, you can't go wrong with them. And if you don't believe me about the dynamicness that they have with each other, go and look up some Cadillac Cat episodes on YouTube. You'll see exactly what I mean. Alright, coming in at number 8. This might surprise a lot of people, but they are a favorite of mine. But I have to rank them here because the other couples I have rank a little above them. And that's Max and Roxanne from Goofy Movie slash Goof Troop. And the reason I rank them here and I put them in this countdown on this list basically uh, is because of the chemistry they have. I mean, when you watch a Goofy movie... You could definitely tell that they do have similarities with each other. I mean, Max obviously has a thing for her, and obviously she's very shy, if not a little clumsy herself. And she's willing to like somebody for who they are and not what they want to be. And that's really exemplified, and I know you just used that word in the with the previous couple, but it's really exemplified at the end um, of the movie when, spoilers, if you haven't seen it, Max admits uh, the lie that he committed to try to impress her and she has to tell him, I already liked you for who you are anyway. She basically tells Max he didn't have to lie because she liked him already. She didn't care, you know, about whether or not he was going to impress her with this or that. She liked him for who he was, especially the fact that he had his dad's laugh. You know, she didn't say his dad's laugh, but she liked the laugh. She even did it herself. So, to me, when I look at a couple, an animated couple, you know, Max and Roxanne is definitely on top of the list. There's 
Well, at least in a top 10 list, no matter what, because they just work. I mean, here you have Max, who is head over heels for this girl, that he's willing to do whatever it takes to impress her. I mean, he goes as far as to disrupt an uh, last, uh, um, what is it, a last day of school asse assembly, if you will, when the principal comes on. And the principal basically is looked at as the main antagonist, if you will, to any of the students in the school. You know, just the way he's portrayed and everything. Um, so he goes as far as disrupting the assembly to put on a, uh, a parody Powerline-like um, concert or mini-concert to not just impress Roxanne, but at the same time to basically show the rest of the school, hey, I might be Goofy's son, but I'm not him. I'm my own person. So, yeah, you know, he's willing to go through that. He's willing to basically lie about the fact that he's going to go see the power. He's going in person with his dad because his dad's taking him to it to see Powerline in concert in L.A. just so that Roxanne doesn't go with somebody else. Uh, and he and he loses his chance, uh, and he kind of loses out on his chance with her. So, you know, Max and Roxanne to me definitely ex exemplifies, and again, there's that word again, uh, exemplifies what a couple is, uh, a realistic, true couple is, because they accept each other who they are, and they don't, and they realize, especially Max, that they don't have to, uh, you know, go as far. Um, as they do with these elaborate schemes or lies or whatever just to impress somebody when they should know right then and there that hey maybe this person likes me for who I am anyway so Max and Roxanne number eight on the list uh, and if you don't believe me about it check out a goofy movie it's on Disney Plus right now check it out I think you'll agree with what I had to say here All right, number seven might surprise a lot of you because I've been a fan of this franchise since I was five years old. Uh, and I can thank my mom for that because she plopped me in front of the television back then just to keep me busy because I didn't really have many friends at that time. And uh, she didn't want me out in the front or anything where basically I could run off and she couldn't keep an eye on me if she was in the house, unless she was out there with me. But anyway, at number seven, from Transformers, <laughs> this is something I don't think anybody would ever expect. From Transformers, Optimus Prime, Alito One. Yeah. Talk about a freaking long distance relationship. But yeah, this is a, a romance, a relationship in Transformers that has uh, basically, what's the word I'm looking for? ascended all barriers of Transformers. It's even, I wouldn't say it's a prime focus, if you will, to coin a phrase. I wouldn't say it's a prime focus in the upcoming War for Cybertron series on Netflix. But it is going to have some um, spotlight put on it. But yeah, this was actually introduced to a lot of us back in the 80s. 
in the um, episode, season two episode, The Search for Alpha Trion. And this was the episode where we got introduced to female Autobots. That was like, that was like a mind blow for a lot of boys that watched Transformers. And even some of the girls that watched it as well. It was a major mind blow. Because most of the time, the only female character we had at that time, you know, kind of on a uh, coast, kind of a, what is it, a co-starring, you know, minor character kind of thing, if you will, was Carly. Was Carly, which was Spike's girlfriend. We just had her. Of course, we had other characters as well. We had that, uh, what was that one girl called Athena, or whatever her name was. They used this uh, transformation thing um, that allowed people to become whatever came to the mind, mind or whatever. The uh, I, I think her name was Athena or something like that. She's the only uh, real example of a female Autobot, but not technically because she was actually a mer person, a mermaid, or merwoman, whatever, an Atlantean that used this transformation thing to turn herself temporarily into a female Autobot whose alternate vehicle mode was a gondolet, which could fire lasers. Go figure. But when it comes to true official female Autobots, the first ones we saw were in Search for Alpha Trion, and in this, it was established even later on in the episode War Dawn, or yeah, the yeah the episode War Dawn, it's established that you know Optimus and Alita One have a romance. I mean, it goes back as far as them being under different personas, different names, alter egos. You know, Optimus is Orion Pax. And Alita has uh, another name. I can't think of it right now. And oh, by the way, just in case anybody saw the Optimus Prime figure thing, I forgot to mention I have the Orion Pax figure as well. So uh, go figure. But anyway, getting back on topic, uh, it was established in this episode, and furthermore, like I said in War Dawn, that Optimus and Alita have a romantic relationship. Even to the point that we see in a flashback that... You know, when Optimus and the Autobots are leaving on the Ark to go towards Earth or to search for Energon, we see Alita and the other female Autobots coming towards them, and she's saying she wants to go with them. So, so yeah, it, tells, it definitely shows you how strong the relationship is. But again, the introduction of female Autobots was a shock to a lot of us, and mostly the introduction of romance in the Autobot universe, or in the Transformer universe, especially with this episode, was a shock. I mean, true, we got some romance and tendencies, like I said, with, uh, with the uh, episode Sea Change, I think that's what it was called, and in the episode The Girl Who Loved Power Glide. We had the tendencies there, but they were between Autobot and technically human character, but here was Search for Alpha Trion was like the first time we've ever seen it. And it was kind of, and this to me was used like as an example to kind of give us a little bit of a love triangle or romance between 
Hot Rod RC, Springer RC, later on in the third season, as well as the movie. But mostly it was here where we got an establishment of a romance between uh, two Transformer characters, that being Optimus and Alita One. So at number seven, as much as a, as much of a Transformer fan as I am, we have Optimus and Alita One at number seven. All right. All right, guys. So for this next one at number six, you might say I'm technically cheating. But as I've always said when I mentioned this, had the series continued, I wouldn't be surprised if they would have done it. At number six, through a little bit of a technicality, because I believe it would have happened, in my opinion, Sonny and Cubby from Gummy Bears. Now hear me out. Hear me out. I know a lot of people have said they were more like siblings. I know a lot of people said that they kind of lived in the same that they lived in the same gummy in the same glen, in the same you know place of living, the same home. But when you think about it, when you think about it, they hung out with each other a lot. They did. They hung out with each other. Um, you know, they went on little, I wouldn't say missions, but like a little adventure, some minor adventures with each other. They did, Disney rode the gambit, gambit, if you will, when it came to putting these two together. They would always find innovative, creative ways to do it. You know, even if they had to put Tummy in there as a third wheel, no pun intended, it was always just those two. And it's, it's just, it's just one of those situations to where if they had continued the series in some shape or form, that I think what they would have done, in my opinion, is age the characters up. I really do. I think if they had continued the series for another season or two, and that season took place years later, they would have aged the characters up, and then, right then and there, I think everybody would agree, Sonny and Cubby would have been perfect for each other, would have become a couple. There's no doubt about it. Because I think when you would look back at the earlier episodes when they were younger, you would kind of, question, kind of give yourself that question of, wait a minute, is this why they were always hanging out with each other? Because they were setting them up for this? It's a possibility. It's a strong possibility. I mean, think about it this way. I mean, true, they would try to tease Sunny being with other characters. Of course, she had a crush on Gusto. They even teased that a little bit when she was going through an aging process, an aging spell process, which was not of her own choosing but they but they teased her being with gusto because she had a crush on gusto they even teased that in rocking chair bear even though like i said the aging spell which was causing her to age rapidly was not of her choosing but 
Also, there was an episode where they meet the Barbics for the first time, Barbic Gummies, and she befriends a cub named Buddy Barbic, who basically or technically is almost, some would say, her age, if not her size. And that might be true. That might be true, but when you get down to it, if you look at Sonny being around, you know, Sonny and Gusto being around each other a lot, and Buddy and Sonny being around each other a lot, and Cubby and Sonny, which one do you think run, wins out? Exactly. Sonny and Cubby. They went out. It's, it's de facto victory. And again, I understand. Some people might say, but they're like siblings. She's older than him. That might, that might be true in some people's opinion. But here's the thing. Again, I, I used this in a video I did not that long ago about Spike and Rarity's relationship and comparing it somewhat to Anakin and Padme's in Star Wars. I mean, if you take away everything that Anakin had done that was leading him towards the dark side and being Darth Vader, if you put that all aside and you look at the fact that you had had this 10-year-old Anakin first meet Padme when she's like in her mid-teens or something like that, and all of a sudden, a few years later, he becomes what he does and they fall in love. It's like, okay... You know, some people might say, what sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense. But in a way, it does. Because they're looking at the fact that they're only a few ages, a few years apart. They're only like four or five years apart. And in reality, nowadays, and I know this back from my high school days, you can be four or five years older than someone else or younger and still be in love with them. So... Who's to say that had Disney continued the series, they wouldn't have applied that to Sonny and Cubby. I'm just saying, when you think about it. So, at number six, a bit of a technicality, cheating-wise, whatever you want to put it, Sonny and Cubby is number six on the shipping list. Okay, guys, so we're entering the top five, and at number five here, at number five, it is a couple that's been going on for 90-something plus years. Of course, it's none other than Mickey and Minnie. I mean, you cannot do any kind of shipping countdown, top 10, top 25, top 5, top 15, whatever, without including them. Because Mickey and Minnie, to me, set the standard, set the bar for what a romance, enduring romance and ship is about. You go through the ups and you go through the downs, but you still come out together. That's what these two exemplify, again, there's that word, exemplify for 90, have exemplified for 90 years. It's, you can't go wrong with this couple. You can't. I mean... To me, they are the it couple of animation. 
I mean, if it wasn't for Mickey and Minnie, you wouldn't have no Snow White and her Prince Charming, in my opinion. True, Snow White was a story that came out before the Walt Disney adaption, but still, from a Disney perspective, you wouldn't have Snow White and Prince Charming. You wouldn't have Prince Philip and Aurora from Sleeping Beauty. You wouldn't have the prince and Cinderella from Cinderella. You wouldn't have Robin Hood and Maid Marian from Disney's Robin Hood. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't even have, believe it or not, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even have Rita and Dodger from Oliver and Company. That's how significant Mickey and Minnie are. Heck, you wouldn't even have Donald and Daisy. You wouldn't have them. That's how significant these two are. And every other animation studio owes a lot to them when it comes to shipping couples or even attempting to. Bugs Bunny wouldn't be with Honey Bunny or later on Lola Bunny if it wasn't for Mickey and Minnie. Warner Brothers wouldn't have done that. Warner Brothers would have not given Porky Pig Petunia Pig if it wasn't for Mickey and Minnie. You see, if it wasn't for this couple of animation coming out when they did, all the other ones that I just mentioned would never be. So all I can say about this is if you don't have them in your countdown, you don't have them in your countdown, something seriously wrong with you. But yeah, number five, starting out the top five of this top ten countdown, or this, t this, or this ten, ten animated ship list, if you will, at five, Mickey and Minnie. Can't do a countdown or a, top, or a shipping list without them. All right, all right, guys. Number four. It's a little bit of a technical one, depending on how you look at it, but. According to some, the recent Scoob movie hinted or showed hints of this couple. And we can thank 1983 to 1986 for this couple. And some might even point out that you can thank the earlier incarnations of the show, of the franchise, as well as, well as some of the later on direct-to-video and DVD movies. And that's Shaggy and Daphne. I know it sounds strange to a lot of people to hear those two um, being name-dropped in a shipping list or a top 10 list or whatever. But think about it. We know that later on with Mystery Incorporated that they tried to ship uh, Shaggy with Velma and Daphne with Fred playing off the original series but no matter what the incarnation of Scooby-Doo they came out in as Mystery Inc. as a whole gang or as just what we saw from the all-new Scooby-Doo Scooby-Doo show slash new Scooby-Doo mysteries and the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo 
Shaggy and Daphne became everybody's favorite ship. Now you might say, how can they become everybody's favorite ship back in the 80s? Well, in a sense they did. But it wouldn't be until about the time the internet would really start booming around the mid to late 90s and mostly, mostly throughout the 2000s, 2010s as well, that people got to get introduced to 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. They got introduced to new Scooby-Doo mysteries and all new Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo show. That they got the idea, they got pretty much the sense that what, that what Hanna-Barbera was doing at the time was ship trying to test out a new romance with Shaggy and Daphne. Because when you think about it, they could have brought Velma back and put her in Daphne's place instead. But they went with Daphne. Now some might say they did because she was eye candy. She's the answer to TMNT's April O'Neil. In a sense, maybe. Maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. You know, some would say she was brought back to be, and to make the show more appealing to younger girls because the format they had before wasn't working and they needed something to bring in a new audience, mostly a female audience, and Daphne was it. That might be true. But in the process, what they also did is they ended up, um, I wouldn't say, how do I put it? They would end up basically uh, unexpectedly, I'll put it that way, unexpectedly shipping these two characters together. And there were various moments throughout the all new, throughout all new Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo, new Scooby-Doo mysteries, and 13 Ghosts that prove this. There's time, there's a moment in No Thanks, Masked Manx, where Shaggy and Daphne, they're dancing. Heck, people even indicate Shaggy bringing, I mean, Daphne bringing Shaggy and the dogs to Blake Manor to meet the parents. It's like, only, the, the only, and so, and, and the reason people point that out is because when it comes to a female bringing a male to meet the parents, is to basically introduce the parents to the boyfriend. So that's why, People would say that the only reason Daphne... So people would point to that right there, that 11-minute mini-episode, as evidence of the ship. Because only a girlfriend would... Only someone that has a boyfriend would bring their boyfriend to the parents' house to meet them. Of course, you also have the little, the embrace um, after Daphne is uh, re uh, restored back to human from being a werewolf in, in the first episode of 13 Ghosts. And you have other hints as well. Um, and then, of course, you have to direct the video movies later on. There's just a variety of moments in those, as, but mostly, like I said, from 83 to 86, where it kind of pretty much solidified Shaggy and Daphne as an item. And I know some people would say, well, that was then, this is now. Well, when you talk to some people that saw Scoob, they will probably tell you that if you watch Scoob, there are Shaggy Daphne moments in it. So, so take that as you will. But yeah, at number four, Shaggy and Daphne. Can't go, 
you know, say what you will, but I think uh, pretty much what you see in some of the episodes, like I said, is what you get. Okay, guys, so at number three, um, number three is kind of hard a little bit because I thought, well, who could I put? Well, at number three, I got to go with a ship that I've said before, I think Disney was planning to do had they gotten a feature film for the series originally, because this series was supposed to get a feature film after the DuckTales movie. It was supposed to go and the, the plan apparently was for the Disney Tune, uh, the Disney Movie Tune Studio to chronologically go in order like the Disney Afternoon. DuckTales getting a movie and then Rescue Rangers, Chippendale Rescue Rangers getting a movie. And I believe had a movie been made, I think we probably would have gotten an answer who to who would have won Gadget's Heart. And in my opinion, I've always been a fan of this. You can argue with me all you want, but I got to go with Dale and Gadget. I know Dale and Foxglove is a popular ship and obviously more official than some people would give it credit for. But I think Dale and Gadget was probably the most obvious ship that was going to happen had the series gotten the motion picture that it was originally going to get. And I think that's when it would have been revealed. Why, you may ask? Because I think when you look at both characters, they both understand each other. They both have similar quirks at times. They have different likes, different they have un well they have unusual taste. They have uh different outlook on things. They have different likes. They have you know they have a liking or a love, I should say, for different things than let's say Chip and Monty do. So just that alone to me was probably a good enough reason for Disney to tease at times potentially these two getting together. And in my opinion, had the movie been made, I think they probably would have done that. Because when you look at all the moments that kind of Easter egg itself into the series of Dale and Gadget, it's a lot more than, there's a lot more Easter eggs of D&G than there is of CNG, that being Chip and Gadget, because of the fact that you have Dale catching Gadget not once but twice. You have Gadget embracing and hugging Dale more than once. Heck, you have Gadget kissing Dale on the lips, even, well, even though she's under disguise as a femme fatale for a spy game originally in Double O Chipmunk. There's too much evidence to even indicate. I mean, you even have Dale kind of smoozing up to Gadget a few times in, you know, in calories not included or while well, he takes advantage of a situation with Chip there or Chip getting her in the mood or something like that and he just jumps in and takes advantage. But then you have him smoothing up, flirting a little bit with Gadget um, in whether or not. So there's just a lot of moments. You have him standing up with Gadget and RoboCat. So there's just a ton of moments. And I think, honestly, in my opinion, Disney was Easter egging us with uh, with these characters. 
They were Easter egging us. They were hinting at us the possibility that these two may get together. And had a movie been made, had the movie been created and released in theaters, I think we would have gotten our answer. And our answer would have been Dale and Gadget being together. I mean, if the movie would have served as the finale for the series, it would have made sense. So, in my opinion, number three, got to go with Dale and Gadget. This, you can't get around it. You really can't. Okay, guys, so at number two, this is going to surprise a lot of people because I am a big, big fan of this ship. I know people find it controversial. It's sort of in the similar veins, if you will, of Cubby and Sunny, but honestly, since episode one to the very end, even during its cooling off period between seasons three and seven, where you had various moments here and there between them. At number two, Spike and Rarity. And I know some people will say the ship's wrong. It, it's not canon. Here's the thing. Jim Miller... Josh Haber, Nicole Dubuque will come out and say it's up to you to interpretate exactly what, what's canon and what's not. And as I said before, and if you can look real close, I don't think you can really see it, but if you look right there, that's an image from the last episode. Look who's looking straight up at Spike. Exactly. Look who's next to Spike at the end in the final scene. Exactly. And a lot of people take that and interpretate that as saying these two did get together and they have a unique kind of relationship where they see each other probably more so than they do doing a cancel of friendship, but it all depends on you know where they're at in the world, whether they're uh, delegating for a for Equestria for Cantalot or you know trying to make peace between certain uh, factions and stuff. But it does indicate they might be, you know, they might be in a, that they're probably, if not are, in a relationship. It's very, it's strongly interpreted. And if you, not, if you need any more evidence, if you need any more evidence, look throughout the series. Like I said, between seasons three and seven, you had your moments, but, you're, but it was more of a cooling off period, but you had your moments. But when you look at season two, you look at the special best gift ever. You know, you look at freaking Meltdown, if you will. Hello, season eight, or even before that, um, uh, and what's, what's the Big Mac Sugar Bell episode? I can't think of it. What's the episode? Uh, the br oh, breakup breakdown. And you look at Spike Holt trying to... I mean, in that episode, season 8. Season 8's episode, Breakup Breakdown, was like the first official one to really 
kind of bring back what people call Sparity to the spotlight. Why? Because Spike brings out a big freaking hearts and hoofs heart or Valentine's Day heart he made for Rarity with a poem on it. I mean, what more can you say than that, huh? What more can you say than that? And then you have Moltdown, which is pretty much a Sparity episode, because both are going through different situations. And you end the episode with Spike, after he gets his wings, being like a model for, for Rarity while she's sewing the thing. And Spike just sighs and smiles, like, well, this is Rarity for you. You know, You're like, that's Rarity, and that's what he likes about her. And then you get, then you get best gift ever. And then the ending there, with Spike's interpret, with Spike's, version of true gift to giving and then you have the first in the first 20 something seconds of between dark and dawn the mid the season the mid season nine finale or the season nine mid finale or what the mid season finale for the mid season nine finale in the first 20 seconds you have rarity running towards spike after he's caught up in a tree about to be eaten by this big giant tortoise and then you have them working together in Summer Sun Setback. You have them fighting alongside each other in the climactic battle, in the finale, in uh, the ending of the end part two. I mean, come on, honestly. And then you have, like I said, this. It, there's too much evidence not to truly, strongly interpretate that something did happen. So, so yeah, you know, I, and I understand people don't feel it's right. But what's funny is after this episode, this last episode, and we see Spike, the what he's become, all of a sudden you have some detractors being like, okay, okay, Spike and Rarity, I can get behind that now. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like, oh, suddenly they have a change of heart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah, um, when you look at all the ships and romances, implied, official, they come out of the series, Spike and Rarity's however you look at it has been there from the beginning and was there at the end no matter how you looked at it no matter how you felt about it it was that one relationship that was from begin that began at the start and was that was there at the end i mean it's even in it's even included in the mangas that have come out recently you know it's come out it's been included in the mangas uh, it's included in the IDW comics. I don't think you can... I don't think there's any more evidence. I, in fact... Let me... Let me pull something out for you. Real quickly. This is last year. This is from the one of the Valentine's packs. Val, val, this is from one of the Valentine's Day gift packs that came out last year. Look at that. Yeah. Even Hasbro, according to some people, kind of ship them. Well, basically ship them, period. So, depending on how you feel, it's a ship. Official, unofficial, semi-official, it's a ship. And to me, it's one of my favorites. If not, if you, and if not, my, just my favorite, ask most of the brony slash Pegasus fan base and they'll give you the same answer that it's their favorite too 
So at number two, spiking rarity, Sparity. Okay guys, number one, I don't think it's any obvious what number one is. It's probably the most popular ship in any franchise. And despite how you feel about it being interpreted, written, executed, it always comes back to being what people want. A romance that should never be tested or that should be tested but never broken Sonic and Sally what more can I say about this what this what more can I say about this couple this couple if you read the comics this couple's been through a lot Depending on whoever wrote certain issues, they've been broken up, put back together, broken up, put back together, broken up, put back together, broken up, put back together. And it's like, you, it's like you want to ask the writers, can you make, it's like you want to ask the writers, the various writers that have wrote for the book throughout the years, throughout the decades. You just want to look at them straight in the eye and ask, could you not make up your mind? You know, do you want them together or do you not want them together? It's like you just want to look at them and be like, you just want to look at them, look them in the eyes, ladies and gentlemen, look them in the eyes and say, could you not make up your mind? Is it a yes or is it a no? That's all you wanted to do. The Saturday morning show known as Saturday AM pretty much solidified that they were somewhat together. Even in season one. Season two really solidified it in a big, big way. Especially at the end when Sonic once again wanted to go off on his own to stop the Doomsday Machine and stop Robotnik. But Sally stopped him, put her hand over his mouth and said, We are in this together. No matter what happens. Which surprised Sonic, but also caused a light bulb to go off in his head and made him realize, Oh... You know, we're, like, together, you know. She's basically proclaiming her love. It's like the light bulb went off in his head when he realized she just proclaimed her love for him by saying she, if anything goes wrong, she don't want to be anywhere but by his side. You you can't get any, you can't get any more, you can't, you can't get any more How, you can't get any more momentum. How do I put this? You can't get more significant than that moment. When she, when Sonic basically says he's going to, when basically, when he basically starts saying he's going to do things on his own, do it on his own, Sally, when Sally basically says, you know, because basically Sally's the one that's saying, come, starting to say, okay, once we plant, the, once we, once we connect the stones, Sonic's like, oh, what are you talking about? And she has to say, well, I'm going with you. And Sonic's trying to tell, no, you're going to slow me down. 
she, like I said, she puts her hand over his mouth and says, we are in this together. Basically saying, anything happens, I don't want to be anywhere but by your side. You can't get any more significant than that when it comes to a romantic couple. No matter what. And again, depending on how you feel about how they were interpreted in the comic books. It's like, you have to, you, it's, basically you have to admit one thing. No matter who wrote for them as a couple, broke them up, put them back together, broke them up and all of that, they always ended up back together. And what's ironic, it was anytime they ended up back together as a couple, guess when it was? During an anniversary issue. Or close to it. They ended up as a couple. Then I'll give you an example. One. How do I put this? For about over a hundred issues. Well not a hundred issues. Um, what was it? Well, maybe about 100 issues. Well, less than 100 issues, they were broken up. They were slowly getting back together. 122 comes around. They're back together as an item. They are. And then 125 happens. <laughs> and Sonic gets blasted into space light years away. 89,000 light years. All right. 222, 100 issues later. They're back together again. It gets hinted at, it gets hinted and built up to through previous issues. We get to that issue, they're back together. Three issues later, Sally gets shot down. Sonic has to, a genesis, Sonic has to fix everything, you know, rest kind of fix everything, kind of, Get things back to the way they were. Go back in time, if you will. Thanks to a freaking Genesis wave. And what happens next? Well, three issues after they get back together, she's shot. Eight issues later, she's roboticized. And becomes Mecha Sally. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, come on. Together, not. Together, not. It's like, again, it's like I said earlier. It's like you want to ask the people, make up your mind. So, but yeah, if there's any couple that you want to put up at number one, it's Sonic and Sa number one on any list, shipping-wise, it's this couple. Or at least you want to put it in your top five, it's this couple, because of everything they've gone through. And I know some people would disagree with that, but you know what? So what? It, it, it's your list. It's my list. It's your opinion. It's my opinion. And to, And to me... They have become very iconic. It's like you cannot... It's like you cannot imagine Sonic, a Sonic series of any kind, no matter how much they try, without Sally being in it somehow. Heck, a lot of people are already drawing movie versions of Sally. You know, as we speak. You know, you have people hoping for Sally to appear maybe in a mid credit scene at the end of the second movie. Which I even said in a live stream back on Monday, the roof of the cinema would freaking blow off that happens. And that's no joke. 
know, people want Sally in a game, in a Sonic game. People have hacked the Sonic 1 and 2 games to put her in there. That, again, you just can't imagine Sonic without her, or her without him. Heck, the Sonic, in the Sonic Live in Sydney show had her doing a sort of a romance, a romantic ballad to Sonic called Thank You for Being You, even though she was, from a story perspective, in some kind of stasis tube when she was singing it. It's like, it's like you can't imagine one without the other. And they have become, in my opinion, just as iconic in comic book lore and in video game lore as Superman and Lois, Spider-Man and Mary Jane, Zelda, Link and Zelda, Mario and Peach, Luigi and Daisy. They become that significant. They become that iconic, in my opinion. Pop culturized, they're almost up there with Mickey and Minnie, in a way. Almost up there with them. They're almost up there with Mickey and Minnie. Probably surpassed just a bit of Popeye and Olive. But they're there. They're, they're in those statuses. No matter, how you, no matter how you look at it. And that's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. And maybe someone will agree with me. Maybe you won't. But, it, but in conclusion. Of this 10 animated ship. Of this top 10 animated ship list. Number one is Sonic and Sally. And I don't think you can disargue it. And I don't think anybody will argue with that uh, whatsoever. Because it's my list, my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree with me. But that's about it. Sonic, but like I said, that's about it. Sonic and Sally is the number one ship on this list. So until then, though, so. Until next time, guys, thank you all for watching. Really appreciate it. I know I kind of stammered a little bit, but like I said at the beginning, this is uncut, uncensored, and on the fly. Thank you all for watching. And let me know what your top 10 animated couples ship, animated ship couples are. Comment down below. Let me know. Maybe do a reply video of your own. And I will talk to you all later. God bless. Take care.